is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, good morning, everybody. Thank you for your welcome, Graham. Uh, it's lovely to be here. I, I was always going to, almost going to say, when we were sat the other way last week, that you guys will be burning in the sun and I'd be in the shade. But actually, it's the other way around now, because I'm now burning in the sun. So I think actually, when you look at something like this, the only thing possibly missing is a glass of pims, wouldn't you say? And and Graham delivering it with a white cloth over his arm. Do you think that would be rather a nice idea? But uh, a huge welcome to everybody that's here for the first time or those that have been here before. This morning I want to talk to you about something God laid in my heart a couple of months ago. And I want to talk to you about scamming. And you might think you've turned up in the wrong service now, but actually I want to tell you about scamming. Uh, Four years ago I was sitting in front of my PC looking at a tomato sauce recipe. And all of a sudden, on my screen came this security alert. There was a malware bug, whatever that might be, appeared. My screen froze and this dialogue box in the center came up saying that there was a percentage of my identity being stolen by somebody outside. And I realized at that moment that I was being scammed and sucked into a place of lies and deception. And those who were purporting to help me were actually the scammers themselves. So this Microsoft help desk came up on the screen saying, you're being scammed, phone this number and we'll help you. They're exactly one and the same people. And those faceless people were in the process of stealing all the details that would allow my identity to be used elsewhere. It was a huge financial cost. I got sucked into this and it cost me 600 pounds to get out of it. But there was also an emotional cost as well. There was a sense of embarrassment. And even today, I don't like to talk about it particularly because it's not a great event in my life. There was an element of fear because people were breaking into my bank account. There was a sense of hopelessness and an invasion of my personal space. In 2017, the annual fraud indicator estimates that fraud and scams, losses in the UK amount to £190 billion a year with 140 billion of that being in the private sector. And that was four years ago, and you can't pick up your phone or listen to anything these days without a a new scam coming online. And I guess this is why this event unsettled me so much, and it reminded me, and although this incident showed my naivety, and it was mostly of my own making, it took me back when I first became a Christian. You see, I had no trouble believing in a good God but I hadn't really understood the concept that I was entering a spiritual battle of some sort. Paul in his letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I once attended a security awareness session for my job in the world of retail. My area manager, who covered 50 large stores in London, began the session by dressing up in a black cloak and putting some horns on his head. Then on the screen in the auditorium appeared the words, Think Evil, 
Everyone, he went on to say, even staff, were potential shoplifters. And he urged all of his teams to understand the consequences of losing this particular battle. The loss of stock went into many thousands every week. And even to this day, there's been a legacy of that in my life. Because if Julie and I go shopping in the supermarket, I'll very often disappear on the trail of a shoplifter. One day, I remember following this dubious-looking character around the store, dressed in civilian clothes, only to find out that he was actually the store detective. <laughs> he was obviously not doing a very good job because he kept appearing from behind the cans of beans. And I thought, well, this, this guy's going to nick stuff. But he was. He was the detective. Anyway... But for us as Christians, knowing we are in a struggle against the powers of this dark world does not mean we should live in fear. But it does mean that there is and always will be a battle for our identity and our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Let me be very blunt this morning. Satan hates you and I, and he will do anything to scam your precious relationship with God and with one another. John 8:44 says this he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies and peter in 1 peter 5 verse 8 says this be alert and of sober mind your your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's a security team coming in there, I think. Resist him and stand firm. Now, Paul, last week in, in um, James chapter 4, talked about resisting the enemy and he will flee. Absolutely. So resisting him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Let me be clear for one minute. I'm not suggesting that Satan is behind everything that doesn't go the way we planned or thought. Sometimes that's just life. Sometimes it's our bad decisions and sometimes our questionable actions or just circumstances. But he hates it when you and I pray. He hates it when you and I sing songs of praise. He hates it when you read words from the Bible because that word will set you true, will set you free. He hates it when you attend your life group because that builds unity in the church. He hates it when you pray for healing because that act of faith brings glory to God. He will do everything to rob the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. Be alert, we're urged. You should know your area of vulnerability or weakness, your Achilles heel. And I didn't know what an Achilles heel was until I looked it up. It's fascinating. Shall I read you what it's all about? Yes, please, John. Okay, I will. The term Achilles heel is rooted in the myth of Achilles. It is a myth, okay. But his mother dipped him in the river Styx, giving his body complete protection. It's like a deodorant of some sort, I guess. But if you can imagine, if you're going to dip your child in the river, you hold him by one ankle, you dip him in the river, comes out completely invulnerable, except for the part of the foot where his mother was holding him. And that is your Achilles heel. The myth goes on to say that he was killed near the end of the Trojan War by Paris, who shot him in the heel with an arrow. Now, those medical people here will probably disagree that you can die from an arrow in your foot, but there we are. That's what an Achilles heel is. So if you take nothing else away from today, you now know what an Achilles heel is. 
But that was his weak area. But whatever your weakness or vulnerability this morning, I want to speak a word of identity over you. Whether you're here with us in this field or whether you're watching us online. I want to remind you who you are. And I want you to know that it doesn't matter what people have called you. And it really doesn't matter what you've called yourself over the years. There is only one who has the right and authority to tell you who you are. And that is Christ Jesus and him risen. Your history may have marked you, but it does not label you for life. Things that have happened in your past do not have the power to shape the totality of your life or who you have been called to be. We are not defined by circumstances, struggles, the past, our behaviours, our failures or our feelings. You are who God says you are. Amen. You see, Satan wants us to become conditioned. He wants us to have a significant influence over our lives to determine the manner and outcome of where our lives go. He wants us to become conditioned by our surroundings, conditioned by our upbringing, conditioned by the words spoken over our lives or not, as the case may be. And I'll give you an example from my own upbringing. My mother's parents were very much of a military background, stiff upper lip, don't show emotion. And my mum brought myself up and my three brothers by herself and she worked really hard to do that. My dad left the marriage when I was two years old and so she struggled through to bring up four boys by herself. She worked really hard, but she had the same characteristics of, as her mum and dad. Just get on with it, just bear with it. And I can only remember one time that she said she loved me, although I'm sure that she did. And I carried all these conditions into my marriage and into my parenting, and I thought that they were just the norm. But God's word tells us of a better way. But if we're not careful, we can live a life of spiritual defeat and poverty, thinking we're something less than God has actually appointed us to be. In this regard, there are countless examples of men and women in the Bible that we could look at this morning. Moses, he could have stayed in Pharaoh's household and not led the people out of captivity. David could have stayed behind being a shepherd and not killed Goliath and became the king. If Ruth had not stayed, remained loyal to Naomi, she would never have met Boaz. What about Daniel in the king's courts and in the fiery furnace? And Saul, who had an amazing conversion experience and became the wonderful Apostle Paul. But this morning I want to look at Judges 6, 1, 6. So if you want to look that up either in your Bibles or in your phones, that would be great. I'm just going to read the first six verses. A bit of the background here, God's people were now in the promised land, but they were still being influenced by the idols of the day. They kept running from God and they kept running from their enemies. They kept forgetting who God had called them to be. So Judges 6, 1 to 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. 
whenever the Israelites planted their crops. The Midianites, Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and they ruined the crops and all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. For seven years, we find the Israelites have been hiding in caves, constantly being invaded and all their livestock and crops destroyed and eaten. Not a living thing was spared, it tells us in verse four. And Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And that took seven years for them to do that. Have you ever been in a situation like this verse where you've lost your hope and that your enemies seem too many to count? The key is found in this verse. We need to cry out to the Lord. And I'm going to come back to that a little bit later on. So often the case with me is after I've exhausted all my feeble efforts to resolve a situation, I realise that if I'd only cried out to the Lord, then the outcome would have been so different because he is immeasurably able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. At this stage in the passage, enter Gideon. I'm so glad for men and women such as this in the Bible, those frail ones, those ones that didn't have any get up and go as it were. And we find him threshing wheat in a wine press. This wine press was secure, confined space, unlike the open fields, and it was safe from the enemy. He was scared and in fear for his life, as were his family and his clan. His body language was conditioned to be defeat. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appears. He is the manifest presence of God appearing. And the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And in human terms, Gideon was far from being a mighty warrior, as he himself declares in verse 15. But my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the weakest of my clan. Gideon had become so conditioned to his surroundings and the constant defeats that he began, he began to live that life. So had God made a mistake and visited the wrong wine press? No, God had now got Gideon's attention and he wanted to say to him, let me tell you who I am and let me tell you who you are. And he's wanting us to hear this afresh this morning, whether you're in this field with us or whether you're watching online today. Let me tell you who I am and let me tell you who you are. You see, there may be Midianites just outside of your windows today. God knows the situation with your jobs, your financial struggles, your parenting pressures, your marriages. Young people, he knows the struggles you're having with your peer pressures 
and your identities. But he reminds us that he is who he says he is. You see, Gideon's denial does not shift the truth and it does not negate who God is. You are not your behaviour and you are not your feelings. No, it's God's perspective of us and Gideon that is so important to recognise. God saw the potential of what man, of what the man could and would become. And many of us here will know the amazing story and how it works out in Gideon's life. But I found these very key verses, which I hadn't paid much attention to before, in the second part of verse 25 and verse 26. God says, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and the Asherah pole behind, beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. You see, the Israelite nation was still worshipping idols all over the place, in the high places, behind people's backs. And God said, turn down those father, your father's altars and build a proper kind of altar to me. Turn your perspective back on the Lord your God. And with the Holy Spirit's help this morning, we are going to tear down some wrong thoughts and some old altars. And we're going to deal with some scams today. The story goes on and in chapter 7 we find that Gideon, through his obedience to God, and that's important, defeats 140,000 Midianites with just 300 men. A whole nation was changed because one man gets the revelation about his new identity. So what about the men and women mentioned in Hebrews 11, the by faith chapter? They didn't start life as particularly dynamic characters, yet they are highly esteemed and were used by God. And here lies a key to that question. Can I suggest that God works in a very different way than we would? Have you ever been in a school playground waiting to be picked for a team and you're always the last one to be picked? Have you ever waited for a phone call from your boss expecting that promotion and it never seems to come? Have you ever been ridiculed by your family for being a Christian? Rejoice, because God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And he chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? Why would he do that? So that no one may boast before him. It's nothing to do with our own strength and ability. It's always about him and always will be about Jesus. Can I suggest that God knew how he was going to use Gideon for such a time as this? For just like him, God has a master plan for you and I. At that stage, Gideon had not received the revelation of his own potential in God. The eyes of his heart had not been opened. He was still living in the restriction of his own surroundings and feelings. He had become conditioned to his lifestyle and he was living out a scam in his own life. 
Do you know what God has purposed for your life today? Well, discount nothing and have great expectations for him to use you in the most exciting ways possible. When we recognise our potential in God and understand our inheritance as children of God, we will no longer have any problems believing God for the natural. But you may feel like Gideon today. You have been told or brought up to believe that you are the least of the least and you are in the midst of an identity crisis. Here are some of the conversations that you and I might have had over the years. But the things I've done in my life are unforgivable. God's word says, I am forgiven, Acts 10.43. I constantly live in fear. It's irrational, but that's the way it is. God's word says, I am safe under his wings wherever I go, Psalm 91.4. Oh, but I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too weak. God's word, I am able to do everything through him who strengthens me, Philippians 4 verse 13. I've been ill for so long, doesn't God care? I am healed by Jesus' wounds, 1 Peter 2.24. You really don't want to know the mental battle I go through every day of my life. I am able to bring every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10.5. But I always seemingly are at the back of the queue, what would God want with me? I am chosen by God, Ephesians 1.4. We need to constantly speak these and many more words of scriptural truths over our lives. These truths will eventually go from just being head knowledge to being the bedrock of our faith. This is not some sort of mind over matter approach here, but it's understanding that God's word over our lives brings revelation and transformation. God says, let me tell you who I am and let me tell you who you are. The thrust of this message is that ordinary people and ordinary means are used to accomplish extraordinary things. God is the master at using the unlikely. He is the expert of turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. We see his power manifest in the lives of people who on the outside may not look that impressive, but on the inside have submitted their lives, thoughts and intentions completely to God. Remember when Jesus got hold of the disciples, they turned the Roman world upside down in just 30 years. Acts 12, 24 says, the word of God continued to increase and spread. As John Stott wrote, this chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison and Herod triumphant. And it closes with Herod's dead, Peter free and the word of God triumphant. If you feel today that in the main you have nothing to offer, then you are just the type of person God loves to work with and through. God doesn't use those who think they've already arrived or those who know all the answers or those who think they can do everything in their own strength, because they are always too busy listening to themselves to even hear what God has to say. 
Stop allowing yourselves to be scanned this morning. Take a step of faith and put your life in the hands of the master potter. Amen. So what I'd like to do is I'd love the band just to come up. We're going to sing part of a song called Oh Come to the Altar. What I'd love you to do when we start to sing is just to please stand if you're able to stand. And we're going to metaphorically come to God's altar this morning. And it's time for some of us to cry out to the Lord for some help today. And it's time to make a stand for some of you. And it's time to take back the ground the enemy has stolen. And it's time to tear down some of those old altars. So we're going to sing this song, just the first part of it. And then I'm going to come back and just wrap up. And then we can go off for our picnic. and broken within Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. behind your regrets and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of jesus come to oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness people to come to the front and we can't lay hands on one another but that does not negate the power of the Holy Spirit this morning
you felt a stirring inside about something that you want to just hand back to God and just say, I've, I've got this one wrong or I've carried it for too long or I've, I've been living this lie over my life or I've just been scammed and I recognise it this morning. Just, just where you are, just lift your hands before God this morning. He's present in this field. He's present online. His arm is not shortened. He can reach you wherever you are. just wants you to put some of those things to one side to remember he's the mighty God he is who he says he is and you are who he says you are not constricted or restricted by your feelings by your emotions but you are who God says you are this morning you are child of God thank you Lord Just as we close today, I just felt such a burden to pray for the youth today. For the youth in Burton, Ignite, and for the youth here in Derby, Rooted. For the teams that run them, for Tim and Sandeep and the team here, and for Alex and Vicky over in Burton, they're doing such a marvellous job. But I wanted to tell you, youth, that you're not some sort of sideshow. You're not second-class citizens in our churches. And I want you to know that the leadership teams of these churches pray for you constantly. We understand the pressures you're going through, especially during this time of lockdown. And I pray over every scheme to deceive you, every scheme to distract and distort the truth in your lives, every discouragement of your lives. I come against that in the name of Jesus. We break that this morning. And you have been set free. And that is Jesus' word over your life this morning. It is for freedom that you have been set free walk in the liberty of that this morning. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us here or joining us online this morning. Join us next week here in the fields. Join us next week online. Please book in next week if you get a chance to do that. This week, please do that. And we release you to go and have your crispy sandwiches now with the turned up edges in the heat. Bless you all. Thank you for turning up. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is down before him for he is Lord of all sing hallelujah Christ is risen oh what a saviour oh what a saviour isn't he wonderful 
bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you,